0: Every week a lot happens in Parliament. Debates rage, bills are discussed and laws are introduced. So it's easy to feel like you don't quite know what's going on in the chamber. So we're lifting the lid and telling you exactly what happened this week in Parliament. This week we saw a debate on aid being sent to Yemen and arms being sold to Saudi Arabia. A general debate on the impact of coronavirus on the entertainment and culture sector and the opening of a new parliamentary broadcast unit. Tuesday saw an urgent question posed by former Secretary of State for International Development Andrew Mitchell, asking the Foreign Secretary if he'll make a statement on the level of aid funding being sent to Yemen. This led to a discussion over the UK's aid, as well as Britain's involvement in arms sales to Saudi Arabia. For anyone who doesn't know, here's a really quick overview of the conflict in Yemen, where the country has basically found itself in the middle of a proxy war between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Following political instability in the country, Houthi rebels, who are mainly Zadi Shia Muslims, were seeking to oust Yemen's president. Saudi Arabia, a Sunni-led country, came to President Hadi's aid and began to attack the Houthis, who are thought to be assisted by Iran. All of this war has led to what's being called the world's worst humanitarian crisis, due in part to the terrible situation of severe food insecurity. The Saudi coalition's airstrikes are thought to be responsible for many deaths in the region though, and this coalition is supported by the UK amongst others. Naturally, when the UK announced a cut in aid, people were concerned and Shadow International Development Secretary Preet Gill and SNP spokesman Chris Law expressed their outrage at the government's arms sales to Saudi Arabia, as well as the aid situation.
1: The government's announcement yesterday at the High Pledging Conference discarded the British people's proud history of stepping up and supporting those in need. In the middle of a pandemic, when millions stand on the brink of famine, the government slashed life-saving support to the largest humanitarian crisis in the world halving direct aid to Yemen weeks after it announced 1.36 billion in new arms licenses to Saudi Arabia. This is a devastating reminder of the real world impact the government's choices to abandon its manifesto commitment on aid will have on the most vulnerable people and shows that this government just cannot be trusted to keep its word. After six years of brutal conflict, two thirds of the Yemeni population are reliant on food aid to survive and thousands of people in the country are at risk of famine. Cutting aid is a death sentence that this government have chosen to make. So will the minister take this opportunity to apologize? Alongside this cut in humanitarian support, the UK continues to sustain the war in Yemen. Will the minister follow the lead set by President Biden by stopping all UK arms sales to the Saudi-led coalition so we can use our role as the penholder on Yemen to help bring this brutal conflict to an end.
2: I call SNP spokesperson Chris Law, who's participating virtually, who's got one minute. Chris Law. Gosh, Mr Speaker, this government should hang its head in shame. UK cutting humanitarian aid to Yemen
0: by 50%. It's confirmation that the UK government is playing a pivotal role in the worst humanitarian disaster in the world. The UK shamefully confirmed it will to sell arms to Saudi Arabia, Laying bare the reality of this government's vision for global Britain, profiteering from weapons without concern for the devastation they cause, and relinquishing really its responsibility to, the, to those who are starving and to save lives. Mr. Speaker, let's be in no doubt: this isn't global Britain. This is more like little Britain. Cleverly responded, claiming that the government was still providing a great deal of aid despite changing the international aid commitment from 0.7 percent of GNI to 0.5.
2: Mr Speaker, our aid budget is incredibly important. And my right honourable friend the Chancellor has made it clear that this year that that figure will remain at £10 billion. That £10 billion represents one of the largest aid budgets in both absolute terms and in relative terms in the globe. She speaks about the change from 0.7% to 0.5%. Mike, I remind the House that remains one of the largest donor countries not just to the uh, Yemen humanitarian uh, crisis appeal but also on the international stage. That just yesterday Houthis sent missile attacks against civilians which injured Saudis and Yemenis alike. The best thing that can happen to secure an improvement in the humanitarian situation, a sustainable humanitarian improvement, is the end of the conflict. And the UK is working hard to do that. However, countries have the right to defend themselves and the consistent attacks both within Yemen and into Saudi must stop. A debate on the same question took place in the
0: Lords on Wednesday, with the Lord Bishop of Leeds nicely summing up the argument of some.
2: Oh, my Lord's... The um, minister rightly used uh, the word peace a number of times in referring to the government's commitment to bringing peace uh, in Yemen. And yet we continue to sell arms to Saudi Arabia, which is part of the uh, violent problem there. Does this not just um, reflect badly on the moral case for global Britain? Uh, at a time when we cut our aid to what's acknowledged to be the poorest and most suffering people in the world. Uh, look at the television programme the other night on a nine-year-old blind boy teaching in a derelict school um, at a time when they need this most.
0: Again, the government, this time represented by Lord Ahmed of Wimbledon, defended its position on arms and support for aid.
2: My lord, I- I align myself to the uh, particular news story that the Right Reverend Prelate relates, and indeed we've all been, as I have myself as a parent, I I totally understand the issue of children in particular who are suffering in Yemen and indeed elsewhere in the world. And that's why we remain very much committed to our programs uh, on vaccination. But also importantly, as Noble Lord have brought to our attention again today on humanitarian aid, on the issue of Saudi support in terms of our support to uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Of course, that is subject to a very rigorous arms control regime, and that is applied quite specifically. Of course, it was also revisited after the court case from a couple of years ago to ensure the application of that regime could be more specific
0: i think regardless of where you land on this debate everyone would agree that aid for those in need and the end of this major conflict are necessities and let's hope that both of these things can be achieved in our second story today we discuss something known as a general debate this allows mps to debate a certain topic without committing to any course of action or policy On Tuesday, one of these general debates was about the coronavirus and the entertainment and culture sectors. The Minister of State for Digital and Culture, Caroline Dynage, opened the debate.
3: I recognise, of course, that businesses are so keen to reopen as soon as possible. But as the Prime Minister said, it is absolutely vital to take a measured and careful approach so that it is truly a one-way road out of this pandemic.
0: Following this, the Minister then outlined the roadmap set out. by Johnson last month, highlighting the elements that apply to the entertainment and culture industry. She then went on to highlight the support that's been provided to the industry by the government,
3: our commitment to supporting individuals and businesses has been steadfast through this challenging period. The government has supported individuals across the economy through financial packages such as the Job Retention Scheme and the Self-Employed Income Support Scheme. But in particular, the £1.57 billion Cultural Recovery Fund, the sing-est, single largest ever support package for the arts, has helped safeguard not only the future of some of the best-loved cultural and creative venues, but many of the jobs and livelihoods of incredibly skilled people that depend upon them."
0: However, this wasn't received well by Joe Stevens, the Shadow Secretary of State for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport. She criticised the government for not providing enough support to these businesses over the course of the pandemic.
1: And in the most recent DCMS annual report, the Secretary of State talks about preserving our cultural heritage. But our culture isn't something to be preserved in aspic. Instead, this is a sector that is built on people and their dynamic connections with one another. And it's this misunderstanding which lies behind the lack of appropriate provision to support the brilliant professionals in this sector, hundreds of thousands of whom have fallen through the gaps. Because of the Chancellor's rigid criteria for support and his complete refusal, despite numerous requests, to provide financial help to those he has excluded and who have become known as the excluded. There are over three million such people and many of them are in the cultural sector.
0: As ever, we'll leave it up to you to decide whether the government has done enough to support the entertainment and culture industry. But as an important sector to the UK economy, I think we can all hope that it rebounds and returns to its former glory as soon as possible. For our last story today, we get pretty niche and pretty meta. For those of you who regularly watch This Week in Parliament, you'll notice that we often include clips from Parliament. We're able to do this thanks to the work of the Parliamentary Broadcast Unit, or PBU, who have been operating for decades with the aim of presenting what's happening in Parliament to the wider public. This week, the PBU announced that they were moving offices to Castle Row, That's because of limitations in their previous basement office that meant that they couldn't improve the service. For example, despite the 10 cameras in the House of Commons supporting high definition, they were only able to broadcast in standard definition, which is why our parliamentary footage is often not the highest quality. However, since their move, they're now ready to start broadcasting in 4K when it's been more widely adopted by households across the country. By the way, most of our videos are in 4Ks, so we're certainly ready for you PBU. Anyway, in addition to this technical improvement, they're now also working to make sure the service is more accessible. By summer of this year, they're hoping to implement an API that allows broadcasters to integrate subtitles and British sign language provided by the PBU into their parliamentary footage. They also hope that the subtitling feature will be useful for journalists trying to find certain clips, as it will effectively allow them to control F the footage instead of having to wade through it, like we have to do when making this series. They hope that it will also allow developers to create programs that will alert people when certain topics are mentioned in the chamber. They've also stated that they're hoping to introduce a system whereby members of parliament are named audibly before rising to speak. It certainly seems that access to parliamentary footage is set to be improved hugely in the near future, which is good for democracy and also for the quality of this series. Anyway, if you want to be updated with what happens in Parliament next week, maybe in higher resolution, then be sure to subscribe to the channel. Or if you prefer, you can listen to the weekly update by subscribing to the Daily Briefing podcast feed, where you'll find a daily summary of the week's news events and every Saturday, This Week in Parliament.